Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, December the 3rd, 2020. This is episode 2785 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Thursday, so it's not usually an interview day. We're going to have a couple extra interviews as we come toward the end of the year. I've been working some folks in. Today I'm working in Nicole Awesome Sauce. Yes, Nicole Sauce is joining us today to talk about the lesson she learned last month, or maybe it was, a, yeah, it was last month, um, as she went through a crowdfunding project to expand Holler Roast. And she took a different take on this than a lot of people do. She didn't do Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, you know, what have you. She did kickstarthollowroast.com, which is a website she actually used WordPress and a plug-in and then some customization to build for herself. And you might wonder, <laughs> why would you do that? Why would, I mean, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, why wouldn't you just use that? Well, there's some really good reasons for that. You might also think, you know, this idea of using an existing network and using goodwill and using online marketing to fund the, the establishment of a business or to fund the expansion of a business or fund a new product line, this sounds like a good thing to be doing, and it might be. There's some things you really have to know. There's, there's a lot of romance that's been built into the marketing around uh, things like Kickstarter. You know, this guy had this idea to build a widget, and he raised $2.5 million. Okay, sure. We'll talk about how people like that actually do that. We'll talk about how people that actually work the system from a grassroots standpoint do that. We'll talk about uh, someone who's been very successful using these third-party platforms, a good friend of ours, also a member of the Expert Council, Paul Wheaton. Um, we'll talk about all that stuff, but we're going to talk about this from a standpoint of if you want to do this, how do you actually get it done in a way that makes sense for you? And how do you decide what to do, how to do it? And the really important thing, how almost all the real heavy-duty work is done before the day you say, my Kickstarter's live. With that, before I bring on Nicole, let's start off with a quote of the day. I thought this one from John Wooden would be perfect for today. He said, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. As a professional doer, I will say, if you're a doer, you make mistakes. And more than most people will ever realize that you make. Not because you hide them, but because you fix them, you learn from them, and then you do more. And when you're constantly doing, when you're always doing, and you're always adjusting, and you're always fixing, and you're always going on, People tend to, to let the mistakes go, and they focus on the achievements. And that's what happens when you're a doer. If you asked me to make a list of people that I know in real life who are doers, I promise you one of them would be at the top of that list every time I wrote it would be Nicole Sauce. And with that, hey, Nicole, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I was just uh, – I, I called you on Skype to do this, and uh, – I noticed that it said chatted four months ago, and just doesn't seem that long. I guess it's because you're on expert counsel uh, almost weekly, but four months since we've had you on like this, that's kind of wrong, so I'm glad we're doing it. Yeah, me too. So, hey, um, 
people listen a you know people that listen a lot know exactly who you are. However, there's a good shot that there's somebody tuning in today for the first time or second or third and hasn't heard an expert counsel show yet. Doesn't know what a Nicole Sauce is. So, who is Nicole Sauce and uh, how how'd you end up in the world as you're in today? Well, I'm this chick that lives in the country trying to do the best I can to make a living off my homestead. And I have a podcast called Living Free in Tennessee. But before that, I was in corporate facilitation, cultural training, and the software industry. And then I ran a freedom-based nonprofit for a number of years until I realized I had a very unhappy life. I found you and it was part of my journey. I remember I was driving to a trade show by myself for 12 hours with this van full of stuff. And I'm listening to one of your podcasts on building the life that you love. And I had already started the podcast at that point because I needed a creative outlet from my job. And I realized I hated my job. And the reason I hated my job was not the mission of the nonprofit I started. It was that I had developed, I had basically built it. So my role was a lot of administrative work, which I hate doing. And I also realized I had poured about 14 years of my life into the free market policy movement. And we were still losing freedom by strides year over year over year. And I just bawled. So you made me cry really hard. And then I changed my life. I came home and I quit. I told everybody they had a year to replace me at the organization I started and that I would not take a salary. And I started doing anything I could on the side hustle side to get going. One of the things was that I already roasted and sold coffee for fun. So I put a bunch of effort into that and I got to come to to your spring workshop years ago, 2017, I think it was, show people how to roast coffee on a cast iron skillet. And I declared, you remember this, right, Jack? Yeah. I declared in front of everybody that it was too expensive to upgrade the roaster and, and I wasn't ready to go all in and I didn't think I would ever make it a full-time gig. And as I said those words, I realized I was standing in front of 80 people in Jack's garage lying to them and myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then you came up afterwards and you said, you need to raise your price by $2 a pound. Yep. And and I remember looking at you and saying nothing. Yeah. And and I was like, he's, he's more successful than I am, so I need to really give this consideration because my visceral gut reaction is you can't raise your prices. So I went home and I did, and my coffee sales doubled in a week. Interestingly enough, mm. and and then I did the first Kickstarter for Hollow Roast to get my first commercial ro uh, roaster, and then recently I've done a whole nother round of that, and we have a huge roaster now that I'm using. So I am doing coffee mostly full time. Um, so that's basically how I got here. Well, that's awesome. Let's let's talk about what you uh, recently did, and, and we're going to talk about crowdfunding today. And I think most people are familiar with crowdfunding. As, as an idea, but when you say crowdfunding, what do you mean? So when I talk about crowdfunding, I'm not talking about a specific platform like GoFundMe or Kickstarter or Indiegogo. I'm talking about leveraging multiple investments to build something to the next level. And that's something that we've all seen happen, right? You've seen uh, like that that garden bot thing, right? That was a, I believe that was a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. I'm not sure which, but it it basically pre-sold those things 
so that they could have enough money to manufacture a bunch of them. Because when you when you manufacture things, you have to do it at a certain volume for it to make sense. So that's what I mean by crowdfunding. Leveraged funding is le- leveraging many small contributions to accomplish something. And there's sort of two categories. One, you're pre-selling things. Two, you're donating. You're raising donations. And those are the, the two approaches that you see today. Yeah, so we're talking about the thing, not the the platform for this purpose. The, yes. the idea that if people want to see something made or they want to see a particular person or entity or group of people succeed, that they just might be willing to put their money where their mouth is literally and contribute money, whether they're buying something early and maybe getting a better deal for it, or sometimes they're just saying, hey, I'll throw 50 bucks in that kitty so that this thing happens. Uh, or what have you. And I think there's like a psychological thing there that people don't realize is in play in that people want things to be available and they want them to stay available. Because I don't know about you, but like if I'm ever building something into like a website or something, I know you do a lot of that. And it's like, well, this thing you can use is free. (laughs) I'm always like, no, fuck that. No, 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 no. Because I'm going to put this shit in my site. I'm going to, it's going to become a key integral thing for me or for the person I'm helping and two years from now, it's going to stop working. Because, yeah. And now, if it's a piece of software that doesn't require support, like a plug-in, well, okay. Because now it's on my server. I own it. It can't go away. But if I'm relying on a third party, like an API or something, I'm like, no. And it's that same mindset that, well, I could do this elsewhere, but I want this thing to be around because I know you run a membership program like like me, and sometimes yeah. I get people like, "Well, I don't use your discounts." I'm like, "Why not?" They're like, "I don't care. I just I just want to support <laughs> what you're in. doing." And it's like, "Okay, <laughs> but if you use my discounts, then maybe you'll keep supporting me forever, even if you decide you don't like me anymore." <laughs> but that yeah. shows that mentality, and that's what crowdsourcing ties into: that people want good things and they yeah. want options, and so you're you're grabbing onto that psychology and saying. This is what I want to do and how I want to do it and why I'm different. Do you want to be part of that? And amazingly enough, some people say, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, and it taps into that other thing where people, when they see things doing well, want to be part of it. Yeah. yeah. They're, they they're along like, for the story. I think it's also like, so think about like we've all been, especially when we're young and stupid and we think that anybody with talent is going to make it. And like yeah. you're in a bar somewhere and there's this band playing or this singer playing and you're like, oh, they're going to be big someday, and you kind of want to be part of that, like you want to introduce yourself to them and whatever. The only time that ever happened for me, and it ended up being true, it ended up being the freaking Dixie Chicks, and that didn't exactly <laughs> work out. But they used, to, they used to play pool at a bar called Breakers in Texas back when they were nobody. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like You have that feeling yeah. of, like, this is going to take off, and I want to be part of it. And, and sometimes that actually happens, and like, crowdsourcing is one way that you kind of – form that relationship. So it's mutually beneficial because people have a certain amount of pride. Like I remember when, you know, this person was playing honky tonk bars or this stupid jerk was in his car. Mm -hmm. And then that's for the entrepreneur. It's really a way to tie into that thousand true fans model because if somebody is with you early with that and you do get somewhere significant, you, you talk about a true fan. You can't have a better one. Yeah. And you take care of those people. That's the other thing. I think a lot of people get momentum and they forget to take care of that first ten people that mm. that were there. You know, 
You know, the ones I'm talking about on your mm-hmm. podcast that were like, you know, maybe you should, I don't know, start a forum or something. Yeah. And then that exploded, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's that's a big thing. And I think, you know, you see it, too, like, in podcasting. I, I've had people, like, when they get just get started, they'll have you on their show. And, yeah. like, that gives them a lift. And then, like, you don't ever hear from them for 10 years. And it's like, you know, come on. It, like, you, you got to, you know, think about the people that helped you along the way. And when it comes to being an entrepreneur today, it's tough because we live in the Amazon economy. Yes. Like, this, this, this year... It's interesting, right, because entrepreneurs like yourself and I and many of our friends have thrived, but you want to talk about a brutal year to be an entrepreneur, especially a brick-and-mortar <laughs> entrepreneur. This has been like it's, – it's like Amazon rising. Like I always defended Amazon <laughs> up until this year because it was like, hey, you can sell there too. You can be part of it. You, know, you, can, you can work with them. But now it's like – and it's not really Amazon. It's like the conditions have been created for this, this monolith to become an all-present, omnipresent monolith. Yeah. So you need more help than you've ever needed as an entrepreneur today. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Although there are some people who are, are vehemently behind supporting the little guy. Yeah. So I will mention that I'm a little guy from time to time on social in case people are looking for something local. But you're right. The the convenience of getting things to your door consistently which is what Amazon and Walmart do now. Yeah. Uh, Amazon a little better than Walmart at the moment. For now. Has completely slaughtered the small guy, and then we've paired that with shutdowns where you know, it's hard as the small hair salon to push back, Yeah. right? It's a lot easier when everybody's depending on you for their toilet paper and your Amazon. Yeah, and I mean, the expectation Amazon has created is the problem, even for companies like you that ship a yeah. product. Because you're... I order Holler Rose coffee. It shows up sometime that week. It's here. But, Usually. But, you know, you order something on Amazon, it's there tomorrow. Yeah. Right? And, and you're old enough, like me, you remember, allow four to six weeks for delivery. No <laughs> CODs, right? You remember when it was an expectation that, like, yeah. you ordered something, you'll get it next month. And, like, when you did order something, you'd literally forget about it. And, and then, be- like, a box would show up, and you're like, did somebody mail me a bomb? Because I'm not expecting nothing. You'd open it, and it was your sessions, classic hits of the 60s, right? Yes, like exactly, those CD packages. <laughs> hey, now I'm old enough, they were cassettes. <laughs> I remember that, too, actually. I got cassettes, too. Cassettes. And then you're like, oh, man, I'm supposed to buy one a month, and then you had to cancel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's start from the beginning, though, with, with crowdsourcing. What does someone have to have in order to do it successfully? I think the first and most important thing you need to have before you do a crowdfunding campaign, and this is counter to the marketing of the big, mm-hmm. like, GoFundMe, Kickstarter platforms, is you have to have a crowd. So if you don't know anybody, you don't have a network, you haven't spent time building strong relationships with people who will help you and who will put in, you may go somewhere, but... It's like you're cutting your legs off. You're you're trying to use a network you don't have, and it's a lot harder to get a crowdfunding campaign off the ground if you don't know anybody. And you certainly can't count on the Kickstarter network on Kickstarter or the GoFundMe network on GoFundMe. They say you can, but there are not people who just sit there every day saying, gee, what else can I fund? Refresh. Yeah. Refresh. Right? Yeah. So I think you also have to have a strong product or service that's of interest or a story. You know, if your house just burned down 
and you're in Jack's network and you've been active on, on, you know, the MeWe group or the, the Telegram, right? And your house burns down and you launch a GoFundMe, you're probably going to do pretty well because people know who you are. If you're just a Jack listener and you've never interacted with anybody, you'll probably get something, but it won't go as far because of that level of trust not being there. Mm. And so I really think crowdfunding is an approach that's a great approach to take if you have the network. But if you're just doing it as a Hail Mary, you might want to think about a different approach. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that like you can't overstate how much it is counter to the marketing of you know Kickstarter and GoFundMe and Indiegogo yeah. and all that. Like having done some of those myself, I know that that priming the pump is a huge requirement there. And so you're going to have to have that network to be there, there, let's be fair. There's two types of people that run successful Kickstarters on yeah. a Kickstarter platform. One is person with enough of a network to prime the pump enough and maybe maybe their 8% or whatever comes back to them in that if they use their network to make it fly, they go broad into like the daily recommendations or whatever, and they get into yeah. the larger network. That's, that's one. But you have to have the network to do that. And it's probably not going to happen. It's probably still going to be the case that the vast majority of the money you gain on that platform is going to come from people you know. The yeah. other group is the professional that hires a PR firm that gets on Good Morning America or something like that. And like, oh, yeah. look, they made $3 million on Kickstarter. No, the PR firm earned them $3 million. <laughs> well, and right? they spent a couple hundred thousand dollars yes. on their video and on the packaging and on market research. You know who's really good at these is, is Paul Wheaton. Very good. When I, I was really like, I was so lucky this year to see what he did in advance of his his Kickstarter campaign. Yep. And how far in advance he was working on it and how much of his marketing plan he had worked out. Because I pretty much copied a lot of those um, best practices after seeing it. He works hard in advance. He reaches out to people and says, hey, this is going to happen. This is the timeline. He works on getting people to donate things so he can give people extra benefits. And at the, I remember at the end of it all, he sent an email saying, hey, to, thanking you for... Or maybe he did a, a segment on your show. I'm not sure. But he thanked you for urging him to move people off the Kickstarter platform and onto his own email list because he tracked yeah. it. And he got much, he got way more support off of his email list than he did for the, you know, from the Kickstart network. So. Well, and, and of he, course you would, right? I mean. Right. Because we know who you are, Paul. <laughs> You know, he is, he has kind of become the, the Kickstarter master of my, the group of people I actually know in real life though. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, his very first Kickstarter was about fucking light bulbs. <laughs> no, I swear to God, like he had this thing like complex fluorescent light bulbs do not actually save energy. If you, and his words, turn the fucking light off when you leave the room. Right. So he wanted, it was like a thousand bucks worth of like light bulbs and meters that he wanted to do this test and publish his results. That was the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is kind of stupid because <laughs> I get what you're doing, but why run a Kickstarter for that? So two years later, he bought like a hundred and something acres in Montana off a of Kickstarter, and I went, oh, okay. 
I see what yeah. you did there. And what he did is he learned the system and then began building momentum and doing larger and larger Kickstarters. And I think that's something that people tend to not expect with crowdsourcing because they kind of look at it this way, like, okay, so Bill wants to have Bill's Tropical Fish. Yeah. Because that's the stupidest idea I can come up with. And so Bill goes to Kickstarter and says, I'm going to be Bill's Tropical Fish, and if you back my Kickstarter, you get my new fish tank that cleans itself, which that would be cool if you had one. So yes. then everybody buys the self-cleaning fish tank from Bill. It's a little 10-gallon one. It's his prototype. And then, boom, Bill's in business, and then Bill goes and sods off to the, the grind of, of business forever when it makes perfect sense that Bill would come back and say, hey, you guys, you know you helped me get the 10-gallon prototype off the ground. It works. You have it, assuming it works. Right. Now I want to come out with a great big 75-gallon display tank that cleans itself. The best and everybody's people, like, what? Right, and the best people to take that to is the people that helped you get there in the first place because even if only a portion of them want that 75-gallon beautiful tank, it costs 20 times more than a 10-gallon one because tanks do that as they get bigger. So your revenue with the portion can be as high or higher than the initial thing, and then you have people that are continuing to vest into what you're doing, which yeah, is no different. like your product. You don't have to reconvince them. Which is no different. Like if you come up with a new coffee next month, and you probably will, you're not going to yep. run off into the wild and go, hey, I have this great new coffee from Say What Nail. You're going to go, hey, people that just bought all my Costa Rican coffee, I have Say What Nail coffee now. Mm -hmm. Because, by the way, I don't think there is such a thing. Don't go look for it. Right. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I, that, it's, that's actually from the movie um, Andy Dufresne, what is it, um, where he's in prison. God, I can't think of it. Anyway, that, that's where they went to after they got out of prison. Um Shawshank Redemption. But, oh, yeah. right, say what? No, that's why I pull words <laughs> like that out. But, like, you would go to the people that already bought from you with your new product. All crowdfunding, when you do that, is, is going to them with the new product you're developing in advance of its release. Yeah. And, and people love that because then they, then they know they get it. It's kind of like I usually let people know that your uh, Jack's Bourbon Cooled Coffee is about to come in stock, and I let people pre order. And the people who love it the most get their orders in immediately so that I don't sell out before they get what they want. And works every time. I mean, I'm not trying to be tricky. It is kind of tricky, I guess. Yeah. But it's also good because I want the people who love that the most to get their, their orders in. So they actually get it and don't get mad at me you know, two months in and I'm sold out. Well, if, if you never sold out, it would be a trick. Yeah. Right? If you're like 16 years later, yeah, we still have some of that around. You sure you don't want some? That would be a trick, but when you actually sell out of something, telling somebody, like, if you don't buy it, yeah, then, then I'm going to sell out and you're not going to get it, that's not a trick. That's It is a motivational marketing tactic, and without doing it, you might not sell out, but it doesn't mean you're not going to. Like, when I say, if you don't sign up for a workshop today, <laughs> you're not going to sign up for the workshop at all, I wasn't lying, right? That's... That's that is it's a legitimate marketing tactic, but it's also not really a trick if it's true. Right. So you said screw off with Indiegogo, Kickstarter, I all did. that. I think part of it was because they said no at first. And you're like, you know what? Yep. Screw you jerks. But don't you think that it makes a lot of sense to do now that you've done it? And like, should everyone do this or should certain people do this and do it on their own? Hold on a second. I'm sorry. It's okay. Okay. So my uh, 
My Amazon thing just started talking. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> I have to take my vitamins now. Um, it's funny that thing ends up on my podcast all the time. So yeah, the the original catalyst for me deciding screw it, I'm just going to build a website because I know how to build websites. And why am I messing around with Kickstarter.com when they control my marketing? Uh, the reason I originally chose to go with them for the second crowdfunding campaign was that I would not have to build a website, and I had already used their platform once. I already had the network of people there who supported the first Kickstarter I did, right? So I built this all. We put so much time and thought mm. into the def- different reward levels and the approach and how to tell the story of why we're doing it now because I had a good reason why. There was a roaster fire. And I was out, I was completely out of commission for two weeks in August. And then it was limping along after that. And I just knew I had to get a different roaster. And when you're telling your story of why, it's really good to have that there's this problem and then solution set up, right? So not telling the story about the fire would be detrimental to the success of the campaign, in my opinion. Uh, Kickstarter did not agree. They did not want me to talk about that. So they declined my campaign. And they said, we only do this for new products. And I said, well, is it not obvious that I'm launching this new coffee product in this VIP portal? Yeah. They said, yeah, but you need to not talk about the coffee roaster fire. And I thought, well, I can now spend the next two weeks messing with my story on Kickstarter, or I can spend the next two weeks building a website of my own and tell my story that's already written and I'm happy with the copy and go for it. So I, I did what you would do in that situation. There must be a plugin for that. I did a vast <laughs> amount of research on plugins, found the number one rated plugin and deployed it and it didn't work. You want to know why? PHP. Uh, not really. <laughs> no, but yeah, PHP is that's generally it. why that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. So, <laughs> Here's what's happened with the COVID shutdowns for businesses in the software industry, some of them. They stopped updating their stuff because of COVID shutdowns. Now, we're talking about the single biggest opportunity for people in the digital arena that's come in a long time, right? People are more and more going online with their things. There's a whole bunch of demand for mail order. This is a plug-in that helps, you know, raise money for things. There's a whole bunch of people who need to raise money for things because there's there there are financial hits happening, and you're not updating your plug-in because of shutdowns? Like, your software guy can't work from home? Are you kidding me? So they hadn't updated it, weren't going to update it, and I paid a developer in Russia, I believe it was, to fix it for me. It cost you colluder, you. See, there you're it. going colluding with the Russians. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, so that's why I did that. And, and I thought, you know, I need to own my message. I need to own my marketing. I can build a website. So I had the skill and didn't have to pay somebody. I did the math after the fact. And if I would have outsourced the building of the website, I would have paid Kickstarter about the same amount of money. Um, I wanted, I was already really frustrated with Facebook and YouTube in particular with, for their censorship and was starting to see my friends deplatformed and thought, well, Kickstarter can do that to me anytime they want to. And they had just deployed community standards, which is code for censorship, right? 
the minute I have to agree to community standards, within a few weeks of that, I start seeing people kicked off of platforms. And I thought, you know what? I need to own these relationships. Part of the motivation originally to set up with Kickstarter was because my network was there, and I felt like I would get sued if I emailed it about something off-platform. So I was wanting to just tap into that because it was the easy button. So those are like those are a lot of the reasons I went on my own. And when I thought about what you need to be successful in a crowdfunding campaign, it's the relationships. And I, you know, I have that. That that wasn't something that wasn't there. I didn't need to try to build it on on the Kickstarter platform. Gotcha. So, is there? Like reasons people shouldn't do this. Like that really just doesn't make sense for them to be building their own crowdfunding site. Five percent is what Kickstarter takes. Okay. If you if you raise a thousand dollars on Kickstarter to get your um, farmers market lettuce CSA off the ground, what's five percent of a thousand? Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. You can't build a website for fifty bucks. So it actually makes sense to use their function if you have if you can frame it right if you don't have the expertise to build a website. And I also think that you you will get some visibility on their platform but not much. You really need to build your network alone. So I think that is like the one time I think just use use GoFundMe or use Kickstarter. The other thing is trust level. If you're if you're reaching a lot of new people as part of your marketing, and let's go back to that lettuce CSA example, if people kind of know you and the five or six are going to put in, but they're going to tell all their friends, and their friends go and they see you on Kickstarter.com or GoFundMe, they know that most of the time there's not a fraudulent setup there, right? Or if nothing and- else, they have recourse. Right. right, they have recourse. And so they'll be more likely to put in on those. However, if if what you've done is carefully nurture your relationships at the farmer market and in your community and you've been going to those business networking events and you have an online presence where you're kind of coaching people through whatever, growing plants or homesteading or those sorts of things, if you have real relationships, then they're more likely to trust you if you build your own website with your own payment processor. So, I mean, those are really the the couple of things I would I would think about before choosing if you're going to build your own versus uh, use Kickstarter. And a lot of people reached out to me during my crowdfunding campaign and started asking about what it would take for me to build one for them. And I lots kept saying, of money. Okay, yeah, but <laughs> but do you have the network? Yeah. Because if you're going to invest in that, if you don't have the network, I'm actually going to say no to the business because I don't want you mad at me. No, I when agree. When it doesn't work. Yeah. So that's the same reason when I had like 300 listeners and I had somebody want to sponsor the show, I'm like, no. no. Yeah. Because nobody's going to buy anything, or you get like two orders and you're going to be pissed. Like, let me right. build this up and then we can talk, right? And then that way you have long-term sponsor business. Like, that's the same kind of thinking there. So I agree with that. Now I would also say though that like, so when it comes to building a site. Basically, what you're building is a uniquely featured e-commerce website. Yeah. If you're going to sell shit online, you need at least the second half of that anyway. Like, if you're going to do a Kickstarter <laughs> and then you're going to be selling product online, even if you don't have one yet, you if you only re- like okay, I guess it depends. Like, if you're going to do a 
a movie and you're going to sell it once and you're going to be done, which yeah. I really don't advise. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. But most people, if you're doing a Kickstarter, you're doing this so that you can get into a business or expand a business. So I expect then that – and I expect when I'm backing you, by the way, that when you're done – you're not going to like sell 800 widgets and go off to say what Nao and get drunk. I expect <laughs> that you're going to make more widgets and have widgets be a thing. Yes. So you're going to need the e-commerce website anyway is where I'm going. That's true. If you're going to build the website anyway, there's no reason not to deploy that functionality other than the fact the plugin is terrible. Yeah. And all the other plugins that I've found are also terrible. Okay. The other thing is the first one of these I build for somebody else, I'm going to be in a new business of building a plugin. <laughs> Yeah. We, we already know how we're building it from the bottom up because if I would have had time, I would have built the plugin and I just didn't want to wait another three or four weeks for that. No, so, I understand. But yeah. I'm also kind of dialing back now. So now I'm dialing back to the person that needs to sell like a thousand, fifteen hundred worth of, fifteen hundred worth of shit. Yeah. I don't know that that person needs that plugin. I don't know that that person needs anything other than a few more items added to their shopping cart and an effective way to sell it. So if you're trying to raise a thousand bucks and that's going to get you where you need to go, then you could do something as simple as create some sort of, uh, like you did with your portal, but without going to the level of a portal, kind of like a, a gift card code. And you say, Hey, I'm selling these for this purpose. And that's, and then the marketing. Right, so then the yeah. marketing comes in, and it doesn't necessarily have to like what you did. Literally, looked like a Kickstarter website because mm -hmm. it was right. Yeah, it had the thermometer thing. Yeah, and it was goal stretch goals, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. hustle Jack and say, hey, you sold out at that level, Jack. You need to up I it, did. right? You I did. Only you had hustled three of those seats, me. and I respected the shit out of that. I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome, right? Like she hustling me. Yep. All right, I'm in, but. The person who, like you're saying, like maybe they should just go ahead and use Kickstarter because it's a smaller amount. I don't know that they need a Kickstarter site to do crowdfunding. Really what they're doing is a presale or asking for some sort of investment from their customer base. And maybe they can still do it independently without making a full featured version of that site. That's true. I think the thing that's nice when you're doing a presale is that thermometer, uh, how close are we to the goal yeah. thing. And there are plugins that do just that. Okay. And I haven't played with them, but I'm sure they're because they're not as complex as the plugin I used on what it's trying to do. Yeah. They're less likely to be as hinky if they're not updated. Where yeah. it's like my goal is a thousand, and I even if it's just a percentage. It, the other thing you can do if you're really bootstrapping it is update that stuff manually. But I hate doing that. <laughs> You know, I think the bigger it can go, too, the more you probably want to try to get away from a third-party platform. Because, like, you, you have in your notes here, your fee would have been around $1,700. Bucks, yeah. Right? $1,700 would have gone to Kickstarter if they would not have declined me and I hadn't changed my mind about what I wanted. And that's $1,700 that now gets invested in Hollow Roast instead of yeah. Kickstarter. Yeah. And as, and you, I didn't as your supporter, I would rather that. give my money to you than to Kickstarter. Right. That that $1,700 is, you know, probably five bags of beans that are sitting in my shack right now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I look at this a lot like for podcasters and content creators, membership site versus Patreon. Like yeah. you're letting someone else take your money to provide you a service that's not that great, 
and tell you what you can and can't do, or you could install a plugin, turn on a membership, and you, you will sink or swim on your own. But I don't really think that a lot of people, when they go on Patreon, end up getting more business for their support because they're on Patreon. Other than I think we are back to a little bit of like what I call the, the giant Amazon factor. One reason it's easy to sell on Amazon is people trust Amazon. So yeah. I do think maybe you get more of your own market pulled in because, well, they trust Patreon, right? Where like NicoleAwesomeSauce.inc may not be as trustworthy as Patreon to some people. Yeah, that's true. But if they've listened to my podcast for a while, I probably am. <laughs> Yeah, if they're going to do it, they're probably going to do it anyway, right? I mean, that's yeah. so for like how much how much do you lose before you're still ahead? I think is the calculation you have to make because if, you know, if I get one person it's like, "Well, you know what, Jack, because you're not a Patreon and you're doing your own thing, I'm not going to join your thing." I you guarantee you the money I didn't give Patreon for my other 10,000 members More than covers that person who was probably going to join for $5 and quit next month anyway, download yeah. all the discount codes, and then act like they did me a favor for the next 10 years. Yeah. I did Patreon for one month early on in my podcast when I decided it was time to do a subscription model. And I can't remember who got kicked off, who got deplatformed on Patreon. It was somebody who said probably something. probably Sargon because that was the yeah. big one. Yep. Yeah. And – I saw that and I went back in the house and I researched membership plugins and my portal is, you know, functionality wise, I'm going to be doing some things to it this year that will make it better, but it works. And I had it deployed in a couple of weeks. And then I told everybody who's already on Patreon, this is your free code to go over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I was done. And I still I have two supporters, I think, or three supporters on Patreon left who I actually know who they are. And it's fine. It it comes in every month, and that's great. Or they can move to my portal if they decide they want to, and they just prefer to leave it hooked up that way. And yeah. that's it. No, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, what made your campaign really successful? Like if we want to break it down nuts and bolts, this is what made it work. So a lot of people see a crowdfunding campaign or any campaign or they, they watch you pre-sell your tickets and they sell out in 120 seconds and they don't realize what's gone on the four to five weeks in advance of that. So in, in order to launch the crowdfunding campaign that we did for Hollow Roast Coffee, the marketing and communications planning began four or five weeks in advance. My roaster burned. I knew I needed to replace it. I was already starting the marketing campaign for that. I didn't even know what kind of roaster I needed or how much, but I knew if it was going to be successful, I needed to be able to articulate what the problem was and what the outcome was and what the steps were along the way. And so I did this big timeline of, you know, without a kickstart or crowdfunding campaign, what are the benchmarks of the growth of the roastery over the next three years? And at each benchmark of pre-sales and coffee, how does that shorten my timeline? I reached out to everybody I knew who might want to help me. You're one of those people. You got the email. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this crowdfunding campaign. Would you be willing to help me promote it? And then I was like, these are the ways I'd like you to help me to promote it in bullets so that you didn't have to read it for 20 years and think about it. Yeah. And then you, you replied. Your reply is great. You said, the easier you make this for me, the more I'll do it. 
Correct. And what that what that means is <laughs> here's a draft post for your blog, Jack. Yep. Here's something you might say on Twitter. Here's something you might. So I went through and I created it's just like normal marketing and PR. You make it as easy as possible for people to help you and that, you know, they're more likely to help you. That took a lot of work. But once it launched, it looked like it took no work at all because you were like, hey, can I have a post? And it's like, here, here's a post. <laughs> yep. And and when you do that, you don't just have one template post for everybody. It's like this one's more appropriate for Jack's audience. So the other thing is you need to think about who who do you want to buy into this? Who are you targeting? What motivates them? Like for you, how is it going to match the style of your website already? So when when we were looking at people to work with, we were looking carefully at how they communicate so that it it would be something they didn't feel like, oh, man, I got to rewrite this because it doesn't fit. Right. And then what was fun about doing a self-hosted one is that on on a platform like GoFundMe or Kickstarter, they have rewards. I got to rename that Perks and have coffee puns throughout the whole thing because I controlled it. Yeah. Right. And that just fit beautifully with the marketing campaign. So so that was all laid out. And then we were really ready to adjust the campaign as it, it played out. So things went a lot faster than I thought they would. And that was it was great that we had <laughs> written out the whole plan and the stretch goals and all those things and knew the why, you know, why this stretch goal will get us a coffee grinder, why that stretch goal will get us the roasting shack that's here now. We knew why. And so when we reached each benchmark, we could say, OK, this is the next thing. And it wasn't like we're making up what the next thing is. We know what it is. This is all planned out. We're not going to tell you all what it is because, you know, you got to support me to find out what the next level is. But but it's there and I don't look like I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I think all of those things really work together on on a well-run crowdfunding campaign. And that is, I mean, Paul Wheaton does that really well, too. You know what he doesn't do well? What? What you started out with. Make it easy to support him. Oh, yeah. And, and I, this is I, I, for people that are thinking about doing this. I really want you to understand what you're doing when you send me an email and say, "Here's my Kickstarter page. Can you promote it for me?" You're asking me to analyze your campaign, carefully craft a marketing piece that incentivizes people to go look at your campaign that you've put a lot of effort into. But I'm not going to recreate. In other words, I'm not going to cut and paste your campaign into my blog. That would be stupid. Blog posts that are designed or show mentions that are designed to get somebody to go are hooks that make them go, and then they go through your long-form copy, basically. Yeah. So think about it this way. You know me, Nicole. If you came to me and said, Jack, I have a client, and what they would like you to do is carefully analyze everything that they've put together and craft for them a marketing piece, what do you think <laughs> I would charge to do that? 2500 bucks At least. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't want to do it, right? And yeah. and if well, you and if I charge and if I charge you twenty five hundred bucks to do that, assuming what you're selling is going to sell anyway, like it's it's you've actually done your job right, I am totally justified in charging you twenty five hundred dollars. That what I do is proven. But if I'm going to spend the time it takes me to do that using my method to do that, I'm not doing it for somebody else. I have eight hundred things to do every week, literally. I do not have time to yeah. craft your marketing for you. So you not only need to craft your long form, you need to craft just what you said. If you want influencers to help you, you need to craft blog posts. You need to craft tweets. You need to craft 
The things that I'm going to, like, share this on your Facebook. Share what on my Facebook? This thing I pasted for you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I, I've gotten that with, uh, they don't keep doing it, but, you know, I get a lot of times one of my sponsors, Free State Project, will be like, will you share yeah. our stuff on your social media? Will you send it to me? Because if you want me to go <laughs> look for it, find it, put it together and do it for you, no. But if you'll send it right. to me, will you put this on uh, on your social media? Yep. Right now. Yeah. Because I can John do it. Willis. I could be doing my, my pre-show planning on one computer, and I, I can literally cut and paste and send, 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 send on my other. And I'll do yeah. that. But I am not, absolutely not, and, and it's not just me. Like, if somebody's listening to this and you're new to this show, I'm so not telling you how Jack Spirico thinks. I'm telling you how anybody who has done the work to have the Influence Network thinks, and it's not because we're big meanies. And occasionally, you'll do the same thing. Occasionally, we'll take on like a person, and we'll say, I'm going to help this person. And we'll do it for them. Like, this yeah. not, we'll never do it. I can't do it for everybody that asks because I literally don't have the time, and neither do you, and neither does anybody else that's successful. They're too busy being successful. And on top of, like, people think, okay, well, then they're just trying to have more. No. When you're successful, you end up with this thing called an obligation. And so we have a customer base. So we have this huge obligation to them. And I'm obligated to do a lot of things for my audience. You're obligated to do a lot yeah. for your audience and your yeah. coffee customers. But you know what neither one of us are obligated to do? Write their marketing for them. Right. That's not in the that's not in the contract, right? So if you want influencer help, whether it's Kickstarter or anything, you need to literally spoon feed it to them and then still expect half of them, even if they like you to say no. Yeah, or they didn't read your email that day, and that's not offensive. No. I, I have no. unanswered emails from people all the time that I've sent them that I'm asking for something, and I'm like, well, you know, one of two things happened. They really didn't see it, or they saw it, and they thought, wow, the answer to this is complicated. I'll do it later, and then they lost. They just yeah. forgot. Or and that, that's the way it works. Or you <laughs> asked for your thing to be promoted the week where I already said yes to three other people and I've already diluted my own market share across three other people that asked. And those right. three other people were strategic and they asked four weeks ago. They yeah. made me part of their pre-launch, so I made time and space for them and now you want me to jam you in the middle because you decided to do this yesterday. I, I can't. It's not fair to me and it's not fair to the other people I'm trying to help because I generally am putting out something for somebody at least once every week or two. Yeah. And, and you know this too as an influencer. You can only do that so many times before it stops working. Well, that and it, people get irritated with your show. Yeah. All he does is promote everybody else's Shill everybody's shit, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not the shill the shit show with, with, with Spirico and Sauce, right? Though, right. <laughs> boy, that almost seems like we should do that as a parody someday or something. We should. The That'd shill the fun. shit show with Spirico and Sauce. <laughs> we can just do lists of things of like ridiculous products that we see. <laughs> Is seen on YouTube. <laughs> we need to get we need to get David on. Oh yeah, it'd be great because he'll make some shit up and yeah. people will be buying it if we have him on. I know that's But exactly. Don't what actually send Bitcoin for freaking guinea pig meat. We don't actually have it. It was a joke. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, I kind of derailed you there, so let's oh, kind of get, get back yeah. to where you were. I mean, you were we were talking about. Um, being able to define all of the goals and knowing your audience and, and what have you. And you were ready to adjust as, as, as kind of the campaign played out. Yeah. Kind of pick up from there. Like we had a lot of once. So I did a pre-launch to make sure the website was working and we reached our first goal before the pre-launch was done 24 hours in. Hmm. And I was like, I, so I've been seeing a psychologist uh, 
about some things this year. And I like walked into her office and I was like, wow, we've been really exciting. I'm about halfway to the goal. And while I was in that one hour, it went over the goal. <laughs> so I came out and I drove home and I said, I said, mama sauce. Uh, we haven't launched yet, and we just reached our first goal. So uh, let's stay up late and get all these emails out because we had, you know, a listserv set up and that sort of thing. And we changed our personal expectation of when we were dropping different imagery and that sort of thing. And it was it was a fun two days after that because we just sat in the living room talking about, okay, how are we moving these pieces around now? Because obviously we've hit uh, a chord with this. So let's let's ride that wave. And I think that's something people people have a tendency to do marketing plans and you have your schedule. And then you have to not be married to your, to your schedule because sometimes you should wait longer to send something. And sometimes, like in the case of the crowdfunding campaign I did, everything went about four times faster the whole time. Hmm. And, and then there'd be breaks where there wasn't a lot of interest, and then we'd have a lot of interest on a Tuesday at 10 p.m. And I'd say, okay, well, we're going to stay up late tonight because we have interest Tuesday at 10 p.m. It was usually because John Willis said something on his live stream at 9:30 and his people would get interested and I'd say okay well if we if if we talk back and forth to the people who are asking questions when they ask the questions they're more likely to to join the campaign. And and that's the part where it's just like when you're working uh, polit- political campaigns, right? When it pops it pops and you work. And when it doesn't pop and you can't do anything to change it, that's when you get to go for your walk with your dog. It's like having a baby when the baby sleeps you sleep. Yeah. When it wakes up, you change diapers. Yeah. <laughs> But it's true, right? Like, like you, you, you take your breaks when they come when you're in the middle of something like that. Yeah. So that was, that was a big, a big, um, a thing I think just people don't always think about it when they're, they're saying, you know, Monday I'm going to send my weekly email. It's going to say this. Well, you're sending that on Friday before if everybody's ready for it. That's just the way it is. Um, I think the other thing is we had a sincere situation. So every every stretch goal. So we had our original goal, which made it so I could get the roaster. But once you put a, a roaster of this category in, you have to build a whole new venting system. I needed a bean cooling table, a, a new coffee grinder, a building to put it all in, um, and a bagger to make the long-term assembly line of the grown business work. And if I had raised exactly enough for the roaster, I would have gotten the rest done more slowly. Right. Yeah. Um, so we had a sincere situation. I knew what order to get these in. A lot of that came because Brian Norton from food forest farms, who does the CBD infused coffees, he and I sat down and we went through it because he's worked in larger, in the larger coffee, commercial coffee world. So, He he's a great resource for me when I'm ready to to do more of the factory part because he knows the different scales of commercial equipment I can get. So he'll know something I can get for a couple thousand bucks that, you know, the only thing I'm finding is the twenty thousand dollar option for it, which is way bigger than what I want. Right. Uh, so he'd done a consult with me on that. And so every time we had a stretch goal, it was with the aim of getting the next thing that was needed in the assembly line. And it wasn't made up. And I think people saw that. So then they knew I wasn't like just flying by the seat of my pants. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a huge thing that people can see, like, this is why this is going. And it was also like you were trying to do things in a very fiscally responsible way. Yes. Um, in that, like, when you needed a building, you actually found a building and were yeah. more concerned with, like, okay, how do I move it? How do I get yeah. it here, right? Yeah. And by, you know, the moving cost and the building cost together was less than having, you know, somebody from the Lowe's, Dep Lowe's Depot right. come out and, and build the same building, which was basically one of those types of buildings. So you were being thoughtful with the capital being raised for your operation. And I think people seeing that were like, oh, so she's not trying to freaking upgrade her, 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 her house to Tiffany lamps. She's <laughs> actually trying to make sure that she can ship me coffee. Yeah. And, and do it in a responsible way that tastes good. Yeah. That building was funny because it was the cost of that building was about a thousand dollars less the same day. No, it was a thousand dollars more to buy that building than to get one of those sheds delivered to my door. And the difference being that it had all the insulation and wiring and extra reinforced floor joists. So heavy stuff could be on that because it was originally built to be a weight room. And the challenge was its ceiling, its, its roof was six inches taller than any mover wanted. So I had to pay somebody hmm. to take the roof off, chalk it, move it and put the roof back on. So you can imagine that ends up adding up. Well, Right at that moment, we went through the great building supply inflationary period of 2020. <laughs> and it turned out within a week, uh, if I had just gotten a shed without any of the other things in it, it would have been 3000 more than moving the building after taking the roof off and putting it back on. And I still would have had to buy the insulation and install it, do the wiring, put in, you know, drywall or something, put in ceilings, buy all the, the light fixtures and everything. And so I was really glad that I pursued that as aggressively as I could. And I had some really good friends help me with, like, some of that labor was just donated by friends. We'll just put it that way. Gotcha. So gotcha. that was nice. What surprised you when this was all said and done? I think... The thing that surprised me the most was how supportive the network was done for, for this expansion. I, I knew that people liked the coffee and they liked the work I do, but the sheer volume of support I had from my network, from your network, from John Willis's network, Dixie po posted about it in her network, Patrick Rohrman posted about it in his, Charles the humble mechanic got behind it. All of these people, and then from my Liberty, like Liberty Network people, they were all on board too, and you know, spreading the word. I couldn't believe it, and and the thing that like I kind of put this pie in the sky level of a thousand dollars, right? And I thought, you know, I know one person for sure who's going to do that level, and I'll just have it there. There'll be ten of them. If if you come in at this level, you basically got coffee credits and some other things, including a custom neck knife with our logo on it. And there are only 10 of those in existence. And they sold out. Not only did they, did they sell out, two more people came in at that level afterwards who don't get the knife. And I couldn't believe that many people were willing to put up that much capital to help us expand. And, and then in addition to that, they were out talking to their networks. It was, it was incredible, right? That's a, it's a very high level of trust for somebody to give you a grand to support it. 
And the other thing with all of the emails and the social networks and podcasts and YouTube interviews I did and, you know, people posting for me and all of that. Every so often I come along with somebody who's a customer of Hollow Roast Coffee and they're like, you did what? And I think, well, you were on the email, but they obviously didn't read it. But it's really funny. Like some people are like, oh, man, I would have wanted to participate in that. And I didn't even know it was happening. Why didn't you tell me? And I'm thinking, well, I did, but you weren't ready to hear it right then. So I think those are the two things that were the biggest surprises. You know, as much as we communicated a lot, some people didn't hear it. And then just the sheer uh, also the moral support a lot. And, and people gave me a lot of grace because for two months I've been shipping coffee really slowly because of the roaster problem. Yeah. And you, you got nobody's the, go ahead. I was going to say nobody's flamed me for that. I'm just like, I'm sorry. It took four days. <laughs> now we're back up to speed, but now I just have the mail problem, but you, that's you, everybody you, does. You got the BPDS issue. there. busy people to late shit. That's <laughs> That's that's a technical name for the BPDS problem. Uh, and I mean, I I didn't delete your requests or your notices or anything like that. But after it was all over, and I'm like, okay, I got other shit to do now. You know, you sent out the um, the form, the, the the thing. Well, you sent out the thing with the the voucher in it for yeah. all the coffee that I bought for the yeah. um, the portal. And I deleted it, and I it was like one of those things where you're doing three things at once. And yeah. I see out of the okay. corner of my eye what it is. I got shit. I had to go dig it back <laughs> out of the deleted items uh, uh, folder. Well, a lot of people got vouchers, and I tracked what the vouchers were for everybody because about half of y'all don't want to use them anyway, and you prefer to just tell me to apply it. So um, I didn't want to risk having a situation where somebody like you or anybody who supported me is like, well, I have this voucher, but I can't find it. Yeah. And now, so we made sure to track all of that in a spreadsheet so that, um, you know, nobody's left with, you know, wondering where their $200 of coffee is going to go because they lost their voucher. <laughs> yeah. But well, I'm big on the spreadsheets, like, you know, man, like, not only do they not lie, but people often, like, they'll say they want to do something, like, where's your, where's your spreadsheet? And, I, and, then, and then they show it to you, and you don't even really look at it. It's just, okay, at least I know that you know. You have one, yeah. Well, yeah. and, I think one of my favorite quotes from you in the world is that spreadsheets don't lie. No, they don't. Uh, We did all of our perks. And mind you, I've been selling coffee at certain rates for a long time, so I've double-checked the numbers. We listed all of our perks for different levels of support. We listed all what it costs, including shipping and packaging and all that. And one of the perks I had come up with based on, like, this is how much coffee sells for and how many go in a box, I was losing $4 every one of those I sold. Mm. I did that before we did the pre-launch, and obviously that perk didn't make it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if I had not, and and that was me saying I better slow down and put this in a spreadsheet before I do this, or else I'm going to be really sad if I've made a mistake, and I had. So it's definitely worth the time to to think through what's this going to be, even if you're not 100% right, it it will reveal problems. Well, and if and, you have a thing that loses. The more the more success you have, the worse off you are. Yeah, the more that thing will sell. That's just the way that goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what would you have done differently? I think the thing I wish I had made more time for, and this is my own mental block. I have a toolbox fallacy on this one. More video communications. 
So I, I made the video at the beginning explaining why and what I should have done was from the car while I was driving to pick up the roaster. The day I picked up the roaster, we have photographs of all that, but I think people would have really liked video. And I was picking up the roaster while the campaign was still going on because the minute I knew I could afford it from the campaign, I asked, I asked the manufacturer to start making it so that we could deploy as quickly as possible. So I think that was one big one. And then the way I had the campaign, you could change levels the whole time. And I didn't have a good way for people to say, you know, I'm at the I love tea level. I'm going to always be at the I love tea level and not upgrade. And I could have started sending out the the tea perk uh, uh, months earlier. Right. I've and, committed and, and I'm would, not and I've committed to not doing more. Right. And I mean, on one hand, you don't want to do that. But on the other hand, I I mailed 100 packages on Monday. Yeah. Most of which were from the crowdfunding campaign and it's Christmas rush at the same time. So I would have avoided that situation. I mean, luckily now I can send a hundred packages on a day here, yeah. but it, you know, it just would have made it not all overlap with the Christmas rush. So that basically was just, list segmentation in a different yeah. way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, 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 that's really valid. Actually, that's, Definitely, because you, you're creating this gall, like uh, like beach ball going through the hose. Yeah. And then it's all there at one time. I, I know yeah. I was thinking of you as you were doing it. Like, ah, it's going to be a busy yeah. freaking you're day. Be, you're like, you're going to be roasting coffee like, for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, and then, of course, I started at the – I started producing one perk at a time, sending them out. And I started at the ones that had lower volumes of coffee first. So this week we did all the five pound packages. And, you know, so for only a few packages, you're roasting a lot of coffee, but it, it was great. It, it went just fine. Cool. So <laughs> what was the, uh, what would be like the summing up your advice for somebody that wants to do a crowdfunding campaign? Okay. So the first thing I would say is know your network and set the stage with them. So that they know it's coming, that it's in the planning process. If some of them then respond and say, hey, what are you thinking of? Run it by them because they'll give you the kind of feedback you need to be successful. Know what motivates your target audience, the people you're trying to get to communicate with, and build them into the campaign to the extent you can. I can't tell you how many people, like Tim Cook put in a consult. Um, I have a brownie of the month package that's coming from our friend barbecue homesteader over at off kilter brownies. Amy Dingman put in digital books like, uh, John Willis donated a bunch of, of things that he sewed with hollow roast, uh, on it with our logo on it. So just by telling people it was happening, a lot of people said, Hey, we'll give this to make it, you know, a bigger splash as you move forward. And if you don't start that well in advance, they don't have time to think about what you're doing, think about what they can do to help and to then help you with that. Uh, make sure your campaign is is grounded in reality of what you really need so that you're not disingenuous. And then set realistic and achievable goals that will lead your supporters on a journey with you. And And by that, I mean my stretch goals, right? It was this is the roaster. Then this is, I think it was the grinder next. And then this is the bean cooling system. Then this is the venting system. 
so they could see, okay, this is the whole story. Like her roaster caught on fire. She needs to expand anyway. And these are the pieces of that expansion that will happen. When you build that story piece in, I think that's when they're able to tell other people, hey, this is why you should support this person you've never heard of who I'm friends with. And and when you equip things within the context of the story, it your your purpose and your marketing pitch gets naturally passed on by other people telling your story. Gotcha, gotcha. And and how can people get in touch with you? Well, Mama Sauce wrote me a little jingle. Can I sing a song? You go ahead. Christmas is coming, the goose is ranging free. Better put good coffee under the tree. If you haven't got good coffee, we'll send some straight to you. Because you wouldn't want to face without a cup of holler roast brew. Hollerroast.com. That's the easiest way to get hold of me. You can even spell it wrong. Um, or go to livingfreeintennessee.com and just get involved with our network there. Awesome. Well, Nicole, I had a great time as always chatting with you today. Thanks for uh, for showing up and doing a work in with me. Well, Jack, I wanted to give you an extra thank you for helping me on the crowdfunding campaign and just for everything you've done to support lots of people through an interesting year. Thanks for having me on the show. Interesting year indeed. Uh, again, thanks for being with us. Well, that was a great interview with Nicole. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And I think we tried to do that in a way that even if you're not going to do a crowdsource campaign, that it's good advice for managing, running, operating, marketing a business. When I bring Nicole on, I try to, to, to bring the balance of the two, the two of us together. We have a very common skill set, and then we have some uniqueness that comes from two different worlds with the skill set of marketing and managing a business. And when I bring Nicole on, I kind of feel it's an opportunity to showcase what we can both offer y'all in teaching you how to be successful in the world of business. And I, I really want to kind of point this out. I don't think there's more that we can do for you. And I'm talking pretty much the entire expert council here because just about everybody on the expert council has some kind of an enterprise. There's nothing that we can do for you that is better for your liberty, your freedom, your independence, your self-efficiency, and your self-reliance that empower you with the skill set to build some sort of a business enterprise or side hustle. Or at least how to think about money differently, even if that's not what you're going to do. I don't think there's anything we can do for you that's more powerful than that. Whether it's taking that approach and being more of an investor. Or knowing how to manage your money, even though you're not going to ever really work for yourself or what have you. It doesn't matter. The business mindset is so inherently valuable and I'm going to tell you this this is a fact if you were to go out and just find people who are in financial health especially in a year like now and that doesn't mean they're a member of a country club and they live in a McMansion they are the picture of financial health if you unplugged their income for six months in that six months they would just create a new income and they wouldn't even breathe hard If you made a list of people like that, you will find this mindset is something they all share. And here's the interesting thing about this mindset. You're not born with it. You develop it. Just like anybody that wants to can learn how to build a fire 
Anybody that wants to can learn how to build a business. And a person that knows how to build a fire makes it look real easy. And a person that doesn't know how to build a fire makes it look real hard. But everybody that didn't know how to do it, that does know how to do it, started out not knowing how. And it's one of the things I tell my grandson all the time when he's doing his schoolwork. And he's doing something because he's, he's so good at so many things. And as soon as he's doing work and it takes effort, he starts to get discouraged. And I, and I tell him, that's that means you're actually learning. When you're just doing, you're demonstrating what you know. When you have to struggle a little bit, that means you're learning something. He's a pretty smart kid because he said to me last time I said that to him, he says, "Do you learn something? Do you learn stuff? Do you like?" To, he said, "Do you like to learn stuff?" And I told him, "Buddy, any day that I reach the end of my day and I don't feel that I learned something, I feel like I wasted my day." And and that's how this skill set is. You don't have to develop it to the point where you can craft marketing uh, messages if you don't want to. But the basic mindset that we talked about today, understanding value for value and maximizing what you can do with that. So it's not just about earning as much as you can, but delivering as much as you can at the same time. That mindset, whether it's as an employee, a side hustler, a contractor, a full-on entrepreneur, there is nothing more of value or higher value that we can give you than that. So I hope you took some of that out of this today. With that, as we wrap things up, if you do like this show and the work that we do and you want to help support me, one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping through tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, you start your shopping there and you will help us out. Now, here's the item of the day today. Same one as we had yesterday. If you tuned in yesterday, you know what it is. If you didn't, Uh, it's the Winchester 51-piece gunsmith screwdriver set. It's on sale for like 12 bucks and change. It's great. I don't want to belabor it because I talked about it yesterday. But for 12 bucks, it's one of those things you probably buy at least, if you have two cars and a range bag and a go bag, you should probably buy four. And then if you look at it and think, I know somebody that could like this for Christmas. This is a great Christmas gift for 12 bucks. Um, I brought it around again today because it's been supposedly on sale on and off for three weeks, and it hadn't been on sale. The price has actually been higher than the retail. I guess they had an inventory issue. They must have got a bunch of them in because it stayed on sale for two days in a row. So I figured I'd bring it back two days in a row. Again, Winchester 51-piece gunsmith screwdriver set. Again, it's not you know it's not like Wheeler or whatever or like Forrester's the, the brand that I have in my like my really good uh, gunsmith box. But for twelve bucks and change, man. I don't. I've never seen anything as value. You know, there's much of a value to price ratio like this, and I've sold thousands of them over the years, and I've not had a complaint yet. Check it out, and remember, no matter what you buy, if you start at tspaz.com, you help support us and the work that we in fact do. With that, let's go ahead and uh, talk to you about the song of the day today. I, I really like this song. These are all songs released in 2020, and probably if you listen to them give you some reflections on the year that's been um, this one definitely because we did lose I mean I've said that the the COVID pandemic has been overhyped and so much fear has come with it and so much of what's been done to us is unnecessary but we did lose people so when you have a song that's about you know after you're gone that, that definitely fits in a year like this um, this one is more about the people that are still around, though, and understanding that you 
You do have that dash that we talk about all the time. You need to make the most of. And one of the lines in it, it's not if, it's how they remember you. And that's the song, How They Remember You. The line drop that I put out today on social media, which I put out on um, Parlor, MeWe, and Discord. And on Discord, I actually go ahead and release the link to the video early of the song of the day as well. I only do that on the Discord server. But anyway, this is the line drop that I did. When you're down to your last dollar, will you give or will you take? When the stiff wind blows the hardest, will you bend or will you break? That's a lot of what this year has been like. It's been hard on people economically. It's been hard on people psychologically, emotionally. If you run a business, it's been challenging. And even within the challenges, there's been opportunities like we talked about today. Nicole Sauce expanded her business in 2020. I expanded my business in 2020. It wasn't easy. But it's because when the stiff wind blows the hardest, and, and instead of breaking, you chose to bend. And that's, that's something that a lot of people need to understand about the world we're, we're transitioning into. This is a world of bending and adapting. Resistance through adaptation, as I call it. It's really necessary. So many people want to be like the mighty oak. But I've lived in Texas long enough to know I've seen oaks that are 100-plus years old, massive, huge trees that have stood for a century. And I've seen storms, storms come in and twist the top right off of them like a matchstick. And in those same storms, I've seen willow trees that might lose you know, a few bits of here and there, but basically the tree stands because the tree bends and moves with the wind. When the stiff wind blows the hardest, will you bend? Or will you break? With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Will you bend or will you break?